We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. Today is Thursday, August 20th. I am your host, John McKagney, joined as always by Mario Puig. This podcast brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. We got a lot to get into today. We're going to bounce around the league looking at some news and notes, and then we're going to round things out, uh, talking a little bit more about the stake league uh, auction that, that took place earlier this week. We're going to, Mario and I were in the same one, so we're going to break down a little bit about our teams, our strategy, um, and, and what all transpired, maybe some interesting buys uh, and so on. Um, but Mario, first of all, um, I want to get things started in Washington, where the backfield, I believe since the last time that we've talked, things have obviously changed a lot with Darius Geis's release. Um, and it seems like as practice has worn on, I feel like every single day I'm, I'm waking up to seeing reports about uh, the, the buzz that Antonio Gibson uh, continues to generate. But uh, where do you stand on this backfield right now? And, and you know, in terms of both ADP and like how, how you see it uh, shaking out once the season gets underway? Well, I guess the ADP might shake up quite a bit from not just not just from this point forward, but even day to day going forward because there's such a wide range of interpretations you could make on things based on just the prior histories of these players. And by these players, I'm you know talking about Adrian Peterson, Antonio Gibson, Bryce Love, and even JD McKissick and Peyton Barber, as much as I generally dismiss them, you could, you can kind of come up with a lot of theories based on that. And then if you add the recent Twitter reports from these, these reporters who are at the Washington training camp, you can really put together any kind of narrative that you want to because it's generally been pretty positive for everybody. There's not really anything out of Washington uh, from the current reporters that are saying, like, this guy sucks, this guy blew it today. Mm -hmm. Uh, It could be that everything really is that good. It could also be that, you know, you get engagement on social media by getting people to retweet about how their, you know, fantasy pick is doing good or how, you know, try try to attach – 
every narrative you can to fantasy football somehow. So you could you could say that there's maybe like this cynical incentive for beat reporters to kind of ham up things like that to get get people rabid and, 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 you know, and then uh, con- conversely like just uh look down their nose at fantasy when they when they actually like you know t- it's like a oh, fa- fantasy football out there yeah i mean it's it's one of those things like you very pro- probably like the, the older beat reporters probably have more resentment toward it whereas to like the, the younger breed of beat reporters it's just it's just uh the water that they've always swam in you know it's like they don't they don't they don't have the the quite acute awareness of it that that some of the the old crotchety people man i, I remember like this is a stupid anecdote to go in but like i remember like when we were uh when i when i was kind of technically in charge of the college football stuff at rotowire and, and the nf uh NCAA DFS was was a thing. I remember like there these reporters that are like, "Why are all these idiots asking?" Oh my us god! Yeah, if uh, AJ Willette has his gear on or whatever, stop asking me. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> look, man, we are the only people who care about your sport. You should definitely answer us. And like they just they hated it. They they just refused. One guy for for Massachusetts beat writer uh, Mass Live something or other like had a had an official policy. I will not respond to you, fantasy sports people. Um, I don't, I don't remember what it was about, but now it's, it's like, if I'm, if I'm a beat reporter and I'm trying to get Twitter engagement, it's like, you can see it in our, within our media. It's like people want to get memed up, um, get, get, get retweets for some stupid uh, thing that goes viral. So I would guess you go viral more easily by saying like, this guy is everything like, you know, flame emojis. This guy's the, (laughs) no one can stop this phenom. Um, or at least, I don't know. It's, it's like, everything's very glowing coming out of Washington, but just as much like it could be possible. Like that's just how good they are because it wouldn't be that shocking if not just, not just if, if Antonio Gibson, this huge fast guy who was really explosive, it wouldn't be surprising if it, not only if, if he was really good, but, uh, or Bryce love, you know, this guy who put up whatever, eight and a half yards per carry at Stanford when he ran for 2000 yards and was, was running a four, three when he was like 14. Like if that guy's good, that's not surprising. It's not even surprising if Adrian Peterson is still pretty good because he was still pretty good last year. So Mm -hmm. this just might be a team that has a lot of good running backs and all the same, if, if that's true, how do we imagine one of these guys really running away from the rest? And if we can't really theorize the way that happens, then maybe we should be leery of the ones who are most expensive, something like that. But I can't really come up with any good rule about, you know, what what range to even consider these guys because it's it's also um, it's also conditional. Like I took Adrian Peterson in our stake league draft because he was one dollar. Uh, that's an easy thing for me to say. It's just like, yeah, one dollar for Peterson. Who cares? But if I have to, you know, specifically come up with a, a certain pick range or price range, it's it's not as easy because I always want to ask, like, well, how much is this guy going for though, and really, what, where's this guy going? And I can imagine a wide range of interpretations on things because I've seen people in the past couple of days saying, like, working themselves, like Bryce loves the starter now, and that's not going to happen in my opinion i think it's going to be peterson who's out there for you know first and second down at least for like the you know 20 plays a game something like that uh maybe more than that but you know at least that at least until he starts uh you know failing to break tackles and and stops looking like adrian peterson uh maybe at that point they they start to to get him out of the way uh but it's possible that if he stays cheap enough i'm less optimistic about this one if Antonio Gibson stays cheap enough and if life love stays cheap enough, it's possible that all three could be buys. Um, but you see some, some of the fringe enthusiasts working themselves up to pretty high hopes, uh, particularly with love and Gibson. Yes. And, uh, you know, to, to be the, the counter to the, to the Peterson, uh, dollar, uh, buy, um, I, gra- I was the one that grabbed Gibson. I actually tossed him out at I think it was seven dollars or something like that, and eventually uh, settled in at. Uh, I got him for nine um, in the in that in that uh, stake league draft, and I've I kind of wanted to gauge the room as far as, and like use Gibson as a litmus test because I do kind of feel like he is one of the more like buzzy but also unknown X factor type of guys on the board. And, you know, his range of ADP over the last uh, week on the NFFC has still been pretty varied. He's gone as high as 89. I'm looking at, uh, but as low as 188. So uh, that's borderline glitchy to me, you know, like, I feel like he's more reliably in that 89 to 100, 110 kind of range. I don't really know anyone who would let him fall to to 188 at this point. Right. Yeah. So basically ignore that, that, 
lower range there. I, again, he's probably not falling much past 115 anymore. Um, How about we just try to, let's try to figure out where we would take Like, I would probably take him – I would definitely take him ahead of Alex Madison, uh, ahead of probably Philip Lindsay, Tevin Coleman, guys like that who are going in the top 100. So – uh, maybe I might I might prefer Matt Breida to Gibson, but that even that that's that's only uh, at most like a six out of ten, seven out of ten kind of thing. Like the upside with Gibson is not deniable at all. Like there's there's no way anyone can can just confidently assure you that that he'll he'll fail or or you know otherwise disappoint this year. Like he is very specifically the David Johnson type prototype, and the question is is. Realistically, the question is like, how soon can he apply it all? And mm-hmm. uh, no one knows. It could be pretty soon, right? No, yeah, exactly. That that's like the great unknown. And we have such like a kind of small sample from from college to really go on. And of course, we're not going to get any preseason games to get any uh, eyes on him, uh, one way or the other. So it it's tough to truly figure it out. I think that there's there's enough to Gibson's game that I like and his profile. Again, you know, a guy that um, at, at his weight, like 228, that, that can run sub 4.4, that's not something that uh, is particularly common. Um, again, he does have the, the short track record as far as being a, a pure running back role. I mean, I think he just had 33 carries uh, last season at Memphis. So could be a bit of a learning curve there. I do expect, like you said, uh, Adrian Peterson to, to be the guy early on. So I see people um, potentially getting that buyer's remorse on, on Antonio Gibson maybe after like the, the second or third week if he hasn't really popped off yet. Um, but again, like you said, uh, the upside, fairly undeniable. Do you think that there's any applicable comparison uh, to Gibson and, and where his helium might take him to uh, guys that were notable traps a year ago, such as Darrell Henderson or, or, or uh, Darwin Thompson, anything like that? Definitely not like Darwin. Uh, yeah, Daryl, <laughs> Daryl's. I mean, it's there's somewhat objective risk with guys like this. I yes. mean, Daryl had he, he he had more of a roadblock ahead of him. I would say, like not just Todd Gurley, but even Malcolm Brown. I mean, uh, I underestimated him. This is definitely some hindsight kind of thing. I wasn't predicting this, but Malcolm Brown is a pretty decent player. He was a five star top running back recruit at Texas, where he was a four year starter stuff like that it's like if you if you remember details like that it's also possible that you know memphis five foot nine 21 year old guy might not be able to beat out uh the 27 year old version of that guy who started four years at texas when they were you know getting every five-star recruit that they wanted malcolm brown being one of them uh i don't think that's the same thing with washington it would have been pretty much the same thing if geis was still around but with peterson being the, the one the veteran ahead of him it's like at once Peterson was pretty good last year. And if he's as good as he was last year, that's that's a pretty significant limiting factor, I think, for Gibson's rushing upside. Yeah. But Peterson's also 34, 35. So he might not be the player that he was last year. In, in any normal player's case, he we would just say he's not going to be the same guys last year. It's, it's only because he's such a ridiculous freak that we're even talking about him at this point. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's an exceptional case. And it's not a it, it's a lot more flimsy than a question like Gurley, in my opinion. So uh, it's it's possible. There's so many things that are possible here, but one of them, if if you want to make the optimist case for Gibson, is that he was a wide receiver junior college player, and he was recruited as a wide receiver. And when he got to Memphis, they played him at wide receiver. He didn't get to play that much his junior year, his first year at Memphis, and then they didn't give him a shot at running back until his fifth game, his senior year at Memphis last year. So it's quite possible that they just uh, Memphis initially and. Uh, whatever junior college he was at, maybe they made a mistake in making him play wide receiver. When he got to to Memphis, I think they they tried to get him involved at running back because he's not very quick off the line. Like he, he's his his speed is real, but it's it's a lot different to get him going in the David Johnson scenario where you motion him out of the backfield and he's on a linebacker or a safety than if you put him outside at the at the outset of the play and make him run against a decent corner. Like once he's once he's against a good corner, maybe he's too slow off the line to get into his route. If he's going against a linebacker, even a really good linebacker or a really good safety, that's totally different. Um, all the same, 
those 33 carries were a really big success. And if you watch the tape, he seems fairly natural at it. It's not like you watch him and you think like that's a receiver carrying the ball. And it doesn't look like Mohamed Sanu taking a carry in the wildcat. You know, mm-hmm. like he looked like a running back. You wouldn't have guessed at a glance that this guy uh, got got his first five carries in, in this game here, whatever, whichever one it was his first one. So um, there's a lot that could be going on there. And, and I guess I guess. Um, yeah, for me, it's like the question of why he didn't get those carries sooner and why he didn't get more carries. Is that because of something to do with him or is it just something to do with the, an error in judgment on his coaches before him? An, an error that would be all that much easier to make because of Henderson and Pollard already being on the team when he got there as a junior college recruit. Henderson would be in uh, his third year at that point and Pollard too, I guess. Uh, I guess both of them were third year guys at that Kenny point. Kenny Gainwell this past year. Gainwell, yes. So it's totally possible that we have a borderline uh, – not not that any of these guys got moved to receiver or, or from receiver. Uh, but it, this could kind of be like an Auburn, Carnell Williams, Ronnie Brown, Brandon Jacobs thing where uh, instead, of, instead of Brandon Jacobs transferring to Southern Illinois or whatever, maybe he just had to play receiver until the last second and, and uh, maybe maybe Gibson just should have been at running back all along and maybe we're seeing proof of it now. Okay. Wow, they uh, that was quite a an odyssey into the into the stylings <laughs> and background of Antonio Gibson. I loved it; it was great. Um, so, I think all of this is to say, what exactly? Where I mean, are you, he's he's there's buying? there's a wide range of possibilities. I think it makes sense to pay the price. I, I I'm not really gonna like shame anyone for being skeptical of him because 33 carries in uh, seven games or whatever as as the entire basis like that's that's kind of scary. But for what it's worth, when I watch him, I, I think it works. I think he clearly fits better at running back than he does at receiver. Um, and in, as far as Love goes, uh, he he's not he seems like t- to not really be in the pass catching consideration that Gibson is. Right. But he he's a pretty simple one in my opinion. If if his knee is okay, and you know I don't I don't know what to to how to call that one. A second surgery on an ACL tear doesn't sound normal to me. Something else might have been going on. Even if something else was going on, maybe he's fine now. If he is fine now, he's probably running something like a 4-3 flat, maybe even a 4-2 something or other. And uh, I, I, I don't think I see uh, a lot of suddenness in him. I, f- I feel like he kind of needs some space for his, se- for his speed to materialize. But he could kind of just be a test case on the question of like, what if Ronnie Hillman ran a 4-3 flat instead of a 4-4-5? And maybe that difference between the two is, is the, the difference between being uh, a mediocre backup like Hillman was and a good, uh, you know, featured runner like Love might still turn out to be. And, and th- there's also a possibility that all three of these guys get plenty of work because if the Washington defense takes, uh, not, not to invite this specific expectation, but the way that the 49ers went from a, a not respected defense in 2018 to the perceived as the best in 2019 do with just tipping a threshold of front seven disruptiveness talent and Washington was already in kind of like the top five sort of territory to begin with and then they added Chase Young so if that defense really just becomes a just a a wood chipper then they could be in a position to give out a lot of carries yeah definitely and I, I think there's also probably the expectation when it comes to this offense they probably um, aren't quite ready to have Dwayne Haskins throwing it, you know, upwards of 40 times a game. So that, yeah, no I tight think, end, uh, mm-hmm. Steven Sims and McLaurin are the only receivers who look poised to contribute in terms of targets. So yeah, that backfield could carry a lot of slack and they might need to. Yes. And, and with that, you know, using, uh, multiple backs in, in a rotation so that that could lead to some, some overall, uh, frustration and, and making it tough to capitalize on any one of these guys. But, um, again, I think for me right now, I'm getting the most of Antonio Gibson and I'm, I'm like you, I'm okay with, with the current going rate, uh, with him. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with, with late flyers on, uh, Peterson and love because yeah, Bryce love, uh, through his first couple of years at Stanford was totally electric, was kind of just, uh, plotting his last year i think he played through a bunch of different things yeah Yeah, so i mean it just it just didn't really get get off the ground for him in 2018 but don't hold that against him too much if you're going to hold anything against him uh the injury history uh would be the thing but i I think that he if he's healthy you know we're almost like a year and a half removed i believe from uh the or probably more than that um the acl injury um if he can retap i think we're about 20 months something like that so that's a lot 
Um, that's a lot of time. Uh, Bryce, Bryce Love could definitely be a factor, really, really explosive guy when he's right. Uh, let's move on over uh, to Philadelphia, um, where Miles Sanders a little bit dinged up now. Um, what's the latest on him? Well, I don't have any specifics. I don't know if anyone has, has managed to pry any information away from the Eagles or any of their any of their sources that, that might speak to the media. But there have been source-issued assurances that Sanders will be fine for week one. And I tend to believe that. I, I think it makes sense to keep a guy like him kind of out of harm's way until the season starts. Uh, within reason, I assume I assume they have some kind of plan uh, that that leads them to to issue an assurance like that. And if they don't truly believe that he'll be ready by week one, maybe we see them try to sign somebody. They kind of already have been linked to what was it Freeman and Hyde yes. well before uh, Sanders got any sort of injury. So um, it at once could be a legitimate injury and something that he's ready and well ahead of week one for it'll be about a three and a half week kind of question for him uh, between the point of the injury and the week one game and as long as it's not a, a a bad high ankle sprain and as long as it's not like a turf toe or a muscle uh, pull that that goes into the kind of like worse than usual territory he really should probably be fine knock on wood uh so or you know I, I don't. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to issue too much, you know, optimism when we have no idea what the actual right, injury right. is. But most things kind of fit that timeline, as long as it's not a, a worse luck than usual kind of thing. So, uh, with that said, uh, I'm not really the, the Miles Sanders buyer in most leagues, but I don't really think this is great uh, reason to move him down. If you were the person buying him. If, if you worked up that level of faith before, then I don't think this should really dissuade you that much. And similarly, I'm not going to be the person who chases Boston Scott in the draft. And I, I understand the case for him. Certainly, if you look at just the numbers, the case is pretty easy to make because this is a guy who's pretty good. Like he, he's, he's definitely good at at least a couple things. The question is, for me anyway, it's like what kind of – uh, what kind of workload can he take on and how how varied is his skill set because this is a guy who could not really get on the field at Louisiana Tech and he was he was there I think as a redshirt senior before he finally got a real workload there there's just some real jokers on that team that that, that were playing ahead Kim of him and Dixon wasn't a joke oh no there was some there was some guy who was like uh, I can't remember him there was there, there was um there was like a Sam McGuffey type or whatever his name is, you oh, know, uh, yeah. there was, some, there was oh, yeah. somebody like that who just sucked. <laughs> High school but, YouTube uh, John loves San McGuffey. Yeah. So, um, but that, you know, coaches make mistakes sometimes and maybe it's as simple as that uh, because Boston Scott's definitely really athletic. It wasn't like he ever lacked for speed or quickness or anything like that. And he, he was explosive as a ball carry. It's just, they wouldn't really let him play that much. So he, he would always have like 40 carries a year until his final year when he was 23 or something. Um, but in any case, he was drafted in the sixth or seventh round. I can't remember by the Saints. They cut him. He ended up on on the on the Eagles later in his I think rookie year, which was 2018. I want to say correct. Uh, sorry if I'm just totally kidding. No, no, you got it. He, uh, he was a rookie in 2018. Year, Last year he was kind of in the background until uh, I don't know. At least Howard got hurt and maybe someone else too. Yeah, Clements, he, came, he came on those last five games. And he had uh, he had good numbers, in, including uh, you know efficient numbers. But basically, all of them occurred against the Giants, and also uh, which was a, a, the the Giants were in a bad state at the time. Uh, also, he played against a lot of that would have occurred against like the Dolphins, I think, and uh, the the Washington defense when they were down to their seventh cornerback. So it's a really easy schedule, and it was also when the Eagles were playing like 85 snaps a game. You can definitely bet on that dropping to an average of something like 67, 66 over the course of the full season. So if you're if you're almost like cutting the game into whatever that is, three fourths, something like that. And then you're also accounting for the regression of going against non-Giants, non-Washington defenses. Then I think you have reason to see him more as like a handcuff to Sanders than a than a flex option behind Sanders. And a lot of his proponents viewed him as a flex option all this time. Uh, so presumably those people, assuming they haven't lost the faith, uh, presumably they're the ones who are paying whatever price it takes to get Scott now. And if, if you're not in on the first price, I don't know how you're in on the second. And I think it's an error to chase either one. In the second case, I think it's because if Sanders is out, which we don't have any reason to expect he will be, but even if he is out, 
I don't think we have reason to think Scott carries the like a workhorse workload. I think he still only plays 20, 25 snaps. Yeah, he's 5'6", 203. Yeah, if Corey Clement is healthy, he's going to play. Like Corey Clement can do some things. There's no doubt yeah, about he's that. he's not bad. Yeah, he was a really good player at Wisconsin, and they've had a really good run lately with running backs, as we've seen. So if you can stand out there, I, I like I, I think Corey Clement at his peak was better than somebody like Monty Ball at, at Wisconsin, for instance. So I think he can play if he's healthy, but health has been a problem. Even if Clement isn't there, I still think Elijah Holyfield or there Michael Warren are going to work between yeah. the tackles in the event that Sanders is out. I'm thinking Clement or Holyfield or Warren might work a little between the tackles, even if Sanders is healthy. I don't think Sanders is, I don't think you want him running between the tackles that much. So if you only have Miles Sanders and Boston Scott at running back, then I think you're just not running between the tackles anymore. And it doesn't sound like something the Eagles would do, at least in my head, that doesn't seem like they would do that. So I think one of those guys is going to be involved. Clement has to be the favorite because he's been there a couple of years and he, he was a really good player at Wisconsin, whereas Warren was only a really good player at Cincinnati and Holyfield behind that Georgia offensive line is like, you know, he was really good there, but it wasn't quite as, it wasn't quite the same, like, uh, you know, Corey Clement going against, Ohio State or something for for Wisconsin with some Joel Stave crap at quarterback. <laughs> yeah, um, it was, it's a tougher job there, and he he put up big volume, big explosiveness. So um, yeah, I'm not chasing Scott. He he's he had a good run last year, and he, he's a good backup. But I think that's kind of all he is. Okay, question time then, because it, this range of the draft has really sifted into you know something interesting where it's like, okay, I need to get some depth at running back. All of these guys, I don't really know what 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 to think. So uh, between guys like Boston Scott, Alexander Madison, um, I'm not going to throw Zach Moss in there because I know what that answer w- would <laughs> be. Um, all right, between between those guys and let's say Latavius Murray, um, what is your de- degree of interest in any of these guys, and and who would you like you know hard fade the most? I think from those three, I would take Latavius Murray. I don't have any shares. It looks like he goes in about that range. So um, I can say the reason I don't have any shares of of Latavius Murray might have a lot to do with Zach Moss, as you correctly anticipated. But I don't have any issue with Murray there. I do have some issue with Madison. I just don't think he's that good. I think he's solid. I think think he's the kind of guy who can give you snaps. and, And importantly, he can give you passing down snaps. I just don't think he's the guy that compels you to give him the ball. And to whatever extent you give him the ball, I don't think he'll be more explosive than the league average or anything like that. Um, So I'm not really chasing Madison. I'm also worried that Madison, he'll probably keep the passing down work in Minnesota in the event that Dalvin Cook isn't playing. But I think he'll split carries with Mike Boone, who's just way more explosive. And if, if, you know, Boone can just have those days like he showed it last year. He can just get hot and it's really tough to, to look half as good as him. When, when he's when he's really breaking long carries like that. Um, what do you tell Murray, the people who lost their week 16s because of Boone last year? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Those yeah. grapes are the sourest they can be. Understandable. <laughs> um, I wasn't even burned by him, and I, I still am like puzzled by that just because, uh, if anything, I was – uh, I, I was hyping him back when he was at Cincinnati, and then after his first – like when he flopped in that one start, even I was just like – Man, I guess I really am an idiot. Like I, f- I felt like that, <laughs> I felt like that Chris Farley gif where he's wearing the green jacket and he's just, he's like at the award ceremony or something. He's just like looking around, just completely bewildered. Like that—that's how I felt watching that Packers Vikings game in Week 16. Is like how how is this happening? I was just on the radio this morning, like extolling the, oh, yeah. the, the virtues of Mike Boone and like how he's going to, uh, and then he killed the, the bears the next week. Yes. Yes. <laughs> adding, adding that like extra salt to the wound was truly uh, a special uh, kick to the fantasy football groin. But yeah, in, in Latavius's case, it's like, at least if Kamara gets hurt, knock on wood, then that offensive line is really good much worse running backs than Murray would produce in that case. Uh, and even at whatever 30, 31, I'm pretty sure Murray is, is going to beat Madison by like a full five yards and a 40 yard dash. So uh, if, if the saints are a functional offense with a really good offensive line, I like that backup running back for, for uh, you know, it's not cheap getting these guys and, and because you can't really play them unless you get injured injuries at running back or, or the running back ahead of them gets injured. I'd rather take the one who I think is at least in a really good offense with, with a 
with a with touchdowns to be easily had, I guess. That definitely makes sense. Before we jump on over to another uh, part of the Eagles offense, got a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. I've been looking for a new challenge, which is why I'm playing Dynasty Owner Fantasy Football this season. Dynasty Owner Fantasy Football unites the fun and excitement of fantasy football with the skill and strategy of the front office. Dynasty Owner is the only way to play fantasy football with real salaries, adding the strategy of running an NFL franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique challenge for diehard fantasy football fanatics. Go to DynastyOwner.com slash RotoWire. Leagues are forming right now. That's DynastyOwner.com slash RotoWire. We've all been in that league where the winner just got lucky. And if you're like me and you know you're better than most, Dynasty Owner gives you the platform to prove it. Dynasty Owner favors skilled players who can manage their roster using real NFL salaries within the salary cap. It adds an entirely new level of strategy. Go to DynastyOwner.com slash RotoWire. Validate your fantasy skills. That's DynastyOwner.com slash RotoWire. Dynasty Owner, start your dynasty today. We also got a message from our friends over at FanDraft. Take your league's fantasy football draft to the next level with FanDraft, the online fantasy football draft board. FanDraft makes your draft feel like the actual NFL draft with features such as a streaming ticker, live draft clock, custom logos, team walk-up songs, multiple draft board displays, and more. FanDraft can be used offline for in-person drafts by exporting the display via projector or onto a large screen TV for the league to enjoy, but it can also be used fully online and any number of your league owners can join the draft remotely you can perform both traditional and auction style drafts fan draft supports idps rookies customizable stuff keepers any type of customization to meet your league requirements you can sign up for a free trial at fandraft.com when you're ready to order the pro account make sure to use promo code rotopod15 to save 15 percent off your purchase again that's fandraft.com and use that promo code rotopod15 to save 15 percent that's r-o-t-o P-O-D-15. All right, Mario. So we were just talking about that Philadelphia backfield and, and that cluster of running backs going a little bit outside pick 100. Um, I wanted to pick your brain next on a guy who uh, we are both fans of, uh, someone who I targeted in the uh, recent stake league um, auction. Uh, that was Jalen Rager. Um, so what is your uh, latest uh, take on him? Well, it's getting into the kind of scenario where I'm worried to speak on it because I'm definitely one of the more uh, like I think I'll be right. But objectively, it's it's true to point out that I'm kind of on the extreme end of the Jalen Rager fandom. Uh, I've been a super fan of Rager's for years and upon his, his kind of mediocre final season at TCU and upon a, a slower than expected 40 time I still didn't really lose the faith, but a lot of people did. It yes. was pretty. It was pretty typical back toward uh, before the draft for most of the winter for people to project Rager as like a late second round pick, and I fell to some pessimism that like, oh, I guess I'm alone on this. I guess he really is going to fall to the second round, and so I, I lost the faith that he would go where he exactly did to the, to the Eagles, uh, the 20th pick, 21st, whatever that was, and. I was among the group of people who thought Justin Jefferson would probably be the pick there, but I specifically thought Rager would make more sense because if they're going with that two tight end offense, it makes a lot more sense to get some speed on the field. Like the route running ability and the various talents of Justin Jefferson are of course useful. And even the Eagles would have been lucky to have him. But if you're going to maximize those two tight ends, and even if you're going to maximize Miles Sanders as a pass catcher, you're going to need to get extra speed on the field to offset what you, the speed that you sacrifice for the size that you take on at those tight end reps that, that most teams just don't have. So I thought Rager made a lot more sense to get the safeties back, and they took him, and that kind of snapped me out of my fugue a little bit. I was just like, wait a second, why am I listening to these people? Rager's awesome. And you were still and, in the supermarket in your underpants. Yeah, this, uh, um, I wasn't faking it though. Um, but yeah, I uh, I was I was expecting Rager to kind of be this uh, like prophesied you know star to the to the draft, and instead he was going in the late second in the, most people's mock drafts. And then when the Eagles took him, it was like, hey, all right, yeah, this is this is more what I was thinking, and I 
kind of I, I tried to temper my expectations because I, I I didn't know what the league thought of him. Like I, I don't know if the you know maybe the Eagles thought it was a little bit of a reach, even though they where they took him, and uh, I, I I wasn't quite ready to work myself back up to the to the sort of expectation that I had a you know a year ago maybe where I was like Rager's going in the top ten, Rager wide receiver one. Um, I I did not rank him ahead of CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy. I think I had him ranked third in my personal rankings. And uh, the more I think about it, and now with these reports coming out of Philadelphia training camp, I'm like, man, I really should have left him at, I don't think I would have ranked him ahead of Lamb. I think I would have had maybe the courage to rank him second ahead of Judy. Um, But now I'm kind of back on it because he's sick, man. If you go watch that TCU tape, it's like, this guy's different. It doesn't take long to notice it. And the drops are concerning, yes, but you're hearing these reports from the Philadelphia training camp, and they're like, "Oh yeah, uh, he he looks better catching passes from Carson Wentz than he Max does." Max Duggan. Yeah, his best quarterback at TC was probably Kenny Hill or something. Like Kenny Hill was probably like ten times as good as the next best quarterback that he had at TCU. Uh, I might be mixing up seasons, um, but in any case, it's like wow, him playing with Carson Wentz totally different question and, and it's not just that people are saying that he looks good it's that he's getting reps in every wide receiver position and so it basically what it looks like is that they're preparing to give him a three down role like if if the eagles by you know if the whole nfl miraculously plays 16 regular season games for each team then if rager stays healthy for the whole year he would probably it currently looks anyway play at least 800 snaps maybe more like 900 and he could be the wide receiver one in this offense. Like they're getting him reps in the slot. They're getting him reps outside. So that means like two two tight end formation, he's on the field. One tight end, three wide formation, he's also on the field. And he's running from the slot in that case. So they're just showing a, a really persistent intention to get him the ball. And if that if that's true, if, if they're making a really specific effort to get him the ball – then it should be easy to get him the ball because I love Deshaun Jackson. And if, if he's on the field, don't get me wrong, he's he's sick. But he has gotten hurt so much lately. And even, even if he is on the field for the whole year, he's never going to be that 10 target per game kind of guy. So either we're kind of cornering ourselves into believing that Carson Wentz throws for like 3,500 yards or fewer or that the tight ends combine for, I don't know, 1,800 yards, something like that. Or Jalen Rager is going to probably go in with an over-under of something like 800, 850 yards. And if his over-under is in that sort of territory, I'm taking the over because that's just – that's what guys like him do, I think. Like I, I feel like guys like him, you, you don't necessarily appreciate what he's capable of until he's until it's too late to really plan. Like it, it kind of reminds me – or I could imagine it having a scenario – like first-round McLaurin or something? I was going to say it kind of could set up to be like when Odell Beckham shocked the league his rookie year, not with the same you know training camp injury and coming off the shelf in uh, week six or whatever, but just when you know it, it took like no time at all for everyone to realize, oh man, this is not <laughs> like most cases. This is something different happening. Right, and uh, it'll I think we'll be like desensitized to to Rager being a great receiver by like the second month of the year. I love that. Uh, you know, I I really think that. Just the way that the Eagles offense sets up and, and the, like the, the receiving uh, pecking order, again, like you said, Deshaun Jackson can't really carry the load and you're only going to throw it to your tight end so much, even if they are as talented a tandem as uh, Ertz and, and Goddard. And, you know, Rager's going to be playing ahead of Greg Ward. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey, I still think he's he's played his last down as an Eagle. Ortega Whiteside, uh you know, I'm like pulling for him, but like I think that Rager is you know leaps and bounds ahead of him uh, now and for the future. Um, and then I mean, then you're getting into you know just kind of guys that can only play a handful of snaps on a, on a given week, like your your John High Towers, Travis Fulgham, uh, Quez Watkins, Robert Davis, those types. So there, if the Eagles have any intention on on throwing it outside this year, like it's going to be the Jalen Rager show, and and I think that that has started to kind of be the impetus for me, uh, kind of buying back in on him. You know, I I think I'm 
I'm kind of among the the group of people that that you alluded to, where um, it was hard to completely keep the faith after how rocky his junior season was yeah. at TCU. I mean, like you know, 43 catches on 93 targets, like that is just like objectively like what the heck is going on. Um, but you know, then you contextualize it with, with how shaky the quarterback play and the, the rest of that rest of that offense at TCU was just really clunky last year, uncharacteristically so. But then you know, I remind myself of, of how electric he was those first two years and why like you know for for me as the as the guy that does the college football projections like you do too um but like you know someone who had Jalen Rager ranked as highly as I did going into last year it's like okay I need to remember uh you know that just one shaky season shouldn't undo the the previous confidence that I had in him um and yeah everything is setting up now where it's like I I really like this this there's almost like a second wave of re- or second phase of the draft where I just love so many of these receivers and yeah. he and he's definitely in there. I think Mike Williams uh, fits that bill. Justin Jefferson, uh, Anthony Miller, like all the, like all those guys. Like I want to get at least one share of that tier of receivers in, in every draft that I go in. And on Tuesday, I grabbed Rager for for seven in the stake league, and I was pumped about that i think he way out produces that you kind of pissed me off with basically every <laughs> pick that you made well you, uh, i hang or like you know we talk football so much i just like absorb so much from you yeah i mean i i uh, stake league was goofy auction for me i uh i was in a lot of positions where i wanted to bid but i just couldn't and that was definitely one of them and if i, I wanted to tell the rest of the room like hey i hate you guys too you should be bidding more <laughs> but i you know, that's that's a bad thing to do. So I didn't do it. Um, but yeah, Rager emerging as he has. And also, I still have a lot of confidence in Justin Jefferson being a good value where he is just because uh, I think you can maintain a lot of optimism, even for a scenario where Irv Smith also breaks out. Even if so, they're still going to need Justin jefferson to do something like tajay sharp sucks bc johnson it might be a good modest volume slot receiver justin jefferson is quite a lot like adam thielen i think and two adam thielens is you know you're gonna throw to them when the third receiver is tajay sharp uh so i like him a lot but basically this this emergence of of rager now makes me that much more willing to just in uh indulge i guess i don't know what the word uh to, to to validate this running back thirst at the top of drafts. It's like, even if you f- feel like an idiot for taking whatever second running back that you take in the second round, just do it anyway, because whatever receiver you're being tempted by as much as Tyreek and Deandre Hopkins, and those guys are great to own. It's like, man, if you can get Jalen Rager in the 10th, who the hell cares if it's a reach to take what's his name? I don't know. Eckler, Josh Jacobs. I don't even care. Just any running back almost at this point. It's like these receivers are so outrageously deep in my opinion anyway. Yeah, no, they, they are. Um, the, the other day, um, after stake, I did a, a best ball and my, like, there's like a comical amount of, of receivers on my team. Like I just, I love the receiver depth there. There in are different ball, tiers. Yeah. Especially there, especially in best ball, just go with numbers, just go with numbers because it's, it's different. in when you got to make the start sit call, I'll acknowledge that that's sure. a little bit different, but if it's in best ball, just, just, go, just go with the numbers approach at receiver. It's definitely right. Yes. I, I think so too. That that's how I structured it. And, you know, uh, I think I think that that is w- one strategy that is going to play out well. Um, before we jump over to uh, one more positional group here, uh, I've got a message from our friends over at Underdog. Say hello to your new favorite place to play fantasy football for real money, Underdog Fantasy. With Underdog, all you need to do is the fun part, draft. Forget about injuries, trades, waivers, and setting lineups. Just set it, forget it, and wait for the winnings to come in. This year, they have a $1 million tournament. That's right. Just draft the best team, and you have a shot at $1 million in prizes. Sign up for Underdog today and enter the best ball mania for a chance at $1 million in prizes by going to underdogfantasy.com or searching Underdog Fantasy in your app store. Be sure to enter the, the code ROTOWIRE after you make your first deposit. All right, Mario, let's do uh, one more positional group here and then a little bit uh, of stake league uh, recap to round things off. So Wednesday, uh, Devontae Adams leaves the field dur- during practice. Um, you know, there, there is just general like 
sky is falling panic for for a brief moment. He he was able to uh, come back out onto the field and and uh, he did not practice Thursday. Uh, it's it is confirmed to be a foot or ankle issue, but it's not believed to be serious. But at the same time, it did kind of make you in a way, uh, seriously address the question of what is this Packers offense uh, without Devontae Adams? Yeah, even with Devontae Adams, it looks like they're kind of trimming the passing game part of the tree down a little bit and probably putting more burden on the rushing attack. At least it looks that way to begin with. And if Devontae Adams were not, uh, if Devontae Adams were unavailable, it would of course become a more extreme version of that dynamic. And I've actually, this entire time we've been recording, John, very slowly been trying to go through Devontae Adams' player profile to to confirm which uh, toe he had a problem with last year. Oh, it, that's it, right. This, was that in the Eagles game that he had that happen? Like the, that Thursday that was a, night game? I think it was among that part of the year, yeah. Uh, in any case, this thing that he hurt yesterday or whenever this was was uh, the right leg or right foot ankle area. So yeah, I'm trying to find out if his if his right foot had the same problem last year. It, even if it is the same foot, which I can't. <laughs> I've been scrolling for so long and I can't figure <laughs> it out. Um, Control F even it, is your friend. Yeah, but I don't know what to put for the turn. Uh, it says right like, toe injury. I found it. Oh, okay. So it was the same. I'm the so com- yeah, I I'm guess we'll want to watch wizard. this to see if his his new injury has anything potentially to do with with. Uh, like it, it could conceivably be like an aggravated compensation area of the, of the right toe injury that he had, the turf toe. It sounded like basically. Um, there's no reason to assume that. I'm just kind of trying to put it together the most paranoid scenario. Yeah, exactly. to, what to <laughs> Mission accomplished. To, what to look for to to rule these various things out. Um, but just the same, if there is any sort of legitimate concern with him, we might see the Packers act in response to it because it's one thing to say you know what we think alan lazard and i don't know equinemia saint brown are going to be good enough for for this year and it's another to say yeah we still think they're good enough after Devonte adams gets hurt um so if if they are concerned about adams actually missing time i think we'll see them do something because malik turner is not a serious uh like this was a few days ago that before Adams got hurt, they signed Malik Turner. He's not very good. Kumaro's a joke. Uh, Valdez Scantling, I guess, could still turn into something, but I'm not really optimistic. Yeah, I'm about leaning it. towards being out on him too. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of a fan of both Alan Lazard and Equinemia St. Brown, and yet if I would say if if Adams looks like he's going to miss time, like there's no way Green Bay will will just let that sit. I don't think even with their lessened passing ambitions. I don't think they're prepared yeah. to just say like, yeah, Equinemius is our second wide receiver. Um, so I'm, I am not leaning toward this paranoid scenario to be clear. I just, uh, these are the things I guess we'll want to keep a bit of an eye on. Um, but either way, regardless of what's going on with Adams, I definitely think it's safe to say, like, I don't think, I don't think we're really going out on a limb at this point by saying that the Packers clearly mean to run the ball more. Right. Um, not to say like they'll run fewer plays or, or aim for fewer yards and points and such. Just more of the burden is going to go to the backfield, I think. And that's just – that had to be true the second they took A.J. Dillon. Like I know people wanted to say, oh, well, it's – you know, we'll see. He'll compete with Jamal Williams and, I don't know, Aaron Jones is a free agent. So maybe it was – no, it's like you draft A.J. Dillon to give him the football. There's no question about that. You give him the ball now. You don't do it a year from now, maybe if you can't re-sign some guy. You give him the ball. So that's not a role that they had in the offense last year. Uh, like even though Jamal Williams was was kind of like splitting snaps at various points, it's a totally different kind of question if it's A.J. Dillon who's getting those snaps. Like A.J. Dillon is getting many more carries per snap than Jamal Williams is getting with those snaps. There's just It's inconceivable that anything else would be true. So the offense necessarily has to change. So if they're going to go with a, with a heavier run build and drafting A.J. Dillon helps them do it, then drafting Josiah DeGuara in the third round probably helps them do it too. And it's right. specifically emulating the way that that Tennessee offense is using its rangy, undersized tight ends to, to do these kind of uh, outside blocks, these downfield blocks, which 
I don't know. I don't know enough about blocking schemes to, to confirm whether this has something to do with it. But Derrick Henry's results seemed pretty good last year. Right. Maybe this maybe this tight end personnel approach has something to do with it. Maybe these sacrificing size for, for athleticism at tight end helps you, you know, get a downfield chip on this safety, this linebacker. And maybe maybe that's just enough to, to make it hopeless for that guy to tackle Henry, who, who is who is going at full speed at them at that at that particular point. It seems like they're trying to emulate those things, and it should it should work. It should make some sense, uh, or at least if you're as high on Dylan as I am, it should make some sense. And I, I think Dylan is absolutely uh, a good pick for them if they give him the ball. Like uh, I know, Pro Football Focus said he was an undrafted grade, and a lot of people filled their diapers over that pick. But it makes <laughs> sense. AJ Dylan is good, and he he is objectively very similar to Derrick Henry. I don't want to make that comparison either, but as someone who was always a Derrick Henry booster. I was always one of those people who uh, was was ignored at the time, basically uh, saying like, Deion Lewis is not winning this. I don't care how you, I don't care what advanced stats you people think you're looking at. They're not valid. It's not going to work. Derrick Henry is 50 pounds heavier this guy than this guy, and he's faster than him. What the hell are we even talking about? And it's a similar thing with with AJ Dillon. It's like. It doesn't matter how you think his game tape looks. He's 250 pounds, and he has a 41-inch vertical, 130-inch broad jump. He's running the same 40 time as Derrick Henry, and he's more densely built than Derrick Henry. Now, Derrick Henry is an insanely good running back, and I don't even know why he's quite as good as he is. Maybe Dylan lacks one of the things that makes Henry as good as he is, but he objectively does not in any physical sense. So maybe his vision's a little worse. I don't know. But if we want to say that Derrick Henry is as good as he is and the gap between him and A.J. Dillon is just something to do with vision to the point that Henry is is a rushing title guy and Dillon is a fullback, like, I don't believe that theory at all. Like, I don't care how bad his vision is. That's not happening. So I think that it's pretty clear that Aaron Jones is going to lose some of those red zone rushing touchdowns because it was just a really high number. This this also means he can afford to lose them. So I'm not saying fade Aaron Jones. I just think it's it's going to be a thing where Aaron Jones, health permitting, comes through because he's good and the Packers have no choice but to give him and A.J. Dillon the ball. There might even be room for uh, – well, Dillon will meet value. He's been going way too cheap. I, I guess I should say he was going way too cheap. I don't know if he's gone higher in recent days. But he was going like the 13th, 14th he's cre- round. He's creep- it's creeping up. It's yeah, like, after uh, those photos, he's going to go higher now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he was going behind uh, like Anthony McFarland. Just ridiculous nonsense. And uh, you know Jamal Williams was never going to stop him. That would have never been the reason why. If, if, if A.J. Dillon was going to fail, a player like Williams cannot stop him. No, I don't think so either. Uh, yeah, AJ Dillon. I mean, basically, have you ever, do you ever watch that show BattleBots? Like way back in the day, <laughs> I kind of remember it, but I, f- I feel like that was when I was like uh, disillusioned with what Nick at Night had put on or something. And yeah, then I usually got bored and eventually fell asleep because I, I didn't like BattleBots that much. Uh, that's, I mean, that's that's totally fair. You don't have to be a big BattleBots guy, but AJ Dillon reminds me of like so, like one of those engineers that that builds like the 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 wedge that is lowest to the ground while also like being turbocharged and also like weighs <laughs> way too much and just absolutely wrecks everything every other like robot like piddly robot that's in its wake like AJ Dillon kind of it is that and uh yeah there, like there's just, there's just no way that he's not going to get on the field I I don't know like where his ADP really goes from here he's checking in at like 142 over the last week Chase Edmonds Sony Michelle uh going in the roughly the same uh, range. He is safely ahead of McFarland now, it looks like, uh, ahead of Damian Harris as well. But um, yeah, it, to your overall point about the, this uh, this Packers offense, it does feel like that Tennessee analog. I think you kind of had that pegged a while back and and the draft kind of served to, to uh, support that theory. Um, but you know, again, that you still have Aaron Rodgers, so that I think that there's just going to be a heavier emphasis, maybe on like the the play action pass, getting more out of the per pass efficiency uh, for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Devontae Adams will obviously have have a lot to do with that. I just, you know, I just want to like get it out there, basically that that I do like Lazard at, at his ADP. He's he's yeah. pretty close by to AJ Dillon, but you know, he's someone that's pretty unique as far as uh, the the size, uh, the the speed's not like burning, you know, like the four five five, but when you consider that this is a man who's like six foot five and, and 227 pounds or at least he was at the combine 455 is 
moving for for someone yeah. like that and he also gets up i mean the 38 inch yeah. vertical as well so i mean i i think that lazard is is a sneaky good buy uh where the nfl's just oh sorry the nfl screwed up in letting him go undrafted that was just a mistake they made and i'm my own prospect grading uh system like i did a kind of hindsight valuation of him and he comes out the same grade to me as Equinemia St. Brown, basically. Like he's St. Brown's just like 10 pounds lighter and a little bit faster, but their production details in college were very similar. Uh, not, not in terms of the volume, but like the ages at which they broke out into to kind of like what tunes they broke out, uh, you know, the, the per target numbers relative to the offense that they played in and the volume burden that they took on. They really are both good-looking prospects, uh, but Lazard, you know, he played a lot last year and he already had some good results. He could still be getting better. He clearly is is a good pick for for the price that he's going. And uh, I I think if if Adams does miss time, like it, it'll be really bad for the Packers' offense. But Lazard will be good. Yes, I I think so too. So definitely, um, if he hadn't been on your radar yet, uh, start considering it. I, I do like uh, Lazard a, f- a fair bit. An interesting guy in that offense, and then of course like De- Devin Funch is opting out. Like they're, they're just kind of out of um, able bodies. Like once you yeah. get past uh, that part of the depth chart, um, let's move on over uh, to the stake league before we wrap things up. So again, if you didn't listen to Tuesday's episode. Please go back and do so. Uh, Joe Bartle and Jake Latarski do a great job on that one. Um, they were in different stake leagues. So at Rotowire, we have two. Um, Joe is in the the one with some of the more like senior uh, partners and, and uh, experts within the, the Rotowire family. And then uh, the the one that you and I participated in is more uh, us. Uh, office yahoos yeah we're we're at the kids table um but we we have our steak and we eat it too um and with supervision yes (laughs) otherwise i'm just gonna like spill on myself i'm not used to (laughs) i'm not allowed to like cut my own steak because i that would involve handling a sharp object not allowed to do that count to 10 when i'm chewing the steak (laughs) um but yeah uh, get a preach (laughs) yeah um anyway john I, I kind of I kind of tipped off my interpretation of your team earlier. I think your team's good. Uh, your team was really good last year. You won the league. Did you win both leagues? Um, so I had the most overall points, but I did not win the head-to-head matchup in Week 17 with Lenz. So he's technically the champion, but I'm technically, technically the champion, at least as far as I care about, because I, I had the most points. Therefore, I'm going to declare myself the winner. But I I co-opted basically the same strategy as I did a year ago where I wanted to corner the market on on one offense that I felt um, was a bit undervalued. And in this type of of league with with shallow benches, you only get five reserves. Um, I think the most important thing that you could do, and this will apply to to listeners out there uh, doing these formats of drafts, um, but just go ahead and you know spend your money don't be that guy that um has all the like several tiers of uh running backs and receivers have come off the board and you're the guy with the most money but you have the most money to spend on guys that aren't that good go ahead get your guys figure out the end game that's what i did i wanted to leave with the most loaded starting lineup that i possibly could uh so with that um started started off with with joe mixon then i got uh at 54 so that was my priciest buy but then mark andrews aj brown um Gibson for eight dollars, uh, Raheem Mostert for fourteen. So ca- kind of admitting that that Gibson isn't going to be my RB two at least right off the bat. I wanted a little bit of in- insurance there, uh, and then I stacked Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf. So like I, I just felt like all thing all of that combined w- was going to be a good starting lineup, and, and Jalen Rager for for seven as well. So um, with that, I, I felt like that's that's how I wanted to attack it, and then. You know, I think guys like you and I who know the rookie market a little bit better and what we could be getting out out of these uh, young players that made it a little bit easier to go with with like the dollar days or you know three dollars or less approach in, in getting guys like AJ Dillon and, and Lavisca Chenault for a combined five dollars. Yeah, Dillon should have gone more than two. I messed up and didn't have any money left, so I couldn't do that. Um, Lavisca Chenault. I guess it's been maybe a couple episodes and we talked about him, but I like his chances of starting fast. I think Jacksonville could really take their passing game to another level if they just make Chenault run inside as much as possible and put D.D. Westbrook outside with Chris Conley's former reps. It's like I think D.D. Westbrook's pretty much a trash slot receiver. 
um, at least if you're using him on underneath routes. But if you put him outside, he's really good again, I think, like he was at Oklahoma and Chenault. Uh, we saw you know, Colorado the last two years. It's, it really is as simple as just give him the ball. Yep. And <laughs> especially in an offense where if, if D.D. Westbrook is pulling one safety and Chark is pulling the other safety, just give Chenault the ball and eventually he's going to break two tackles and then he then he goes you know a good distance uh dylan is your like fifth running back for two dollars so it's not not just the two dollars is is a good deal but it's like having him at that level of urgency at running back five uh can only work out well i think um so yeah your team looks really good the chanel pick the rager pick the paris campbell pick at one dollar i liked a lot um yeah your team's really good i don't i'm not really worried about your team uh finishing below the the we have this uh stake bet normally i don't know if the plague will still be going on in uh 10 months or whatever when we might have whenever we would have normally the, or six months i guess when we would normally have the stake league dinner so uh i'm i normally go for kind of like a cash game approach with this league which may be stupid like maybe it maybe it's maybe i should just do what you said like shoot as high as possible um, because maybe my idea of of uh, less risk is not even correct in the first place, and right. maybe by resigning to it, I'm actually just doubling my losses or something. Um, but I kind of like my team as is like a mid range outcome. Like I think my starting lineup is pretty decent. My failure was a really weird one. Um, slash, it's almost I, I don't think it's my fault. I think these guys, I think all you other guys, not you, the the other. If anyone's listening in the stake league, I hate you guys. Uh, <laughs> you're you're dumb. You should have bid three dollars on the three quarterbacks i didn't mean to end up buying because uh, you cheap idiots thought you were entitled to getting carson wentz joe burrow and daniel jones each for one dollar i bid two dollars on those guys because i said hell no you're gonna pay five dollars for wentz you're not paying one dollar and then no one bid three on them. Oh, that's and the, the same worst. thing happened with Burrow. And, and okay, so this is a 14-team league, and a bunch of these guys are, are decided, I'll just not have a backup. It's like, fine, I'll just never pick up a backup running back or receiver. And you can start, I don't know, uh, Justin Herbert in week three when your Tyrod Taylor uh, pickup doesn't work out because he sucks. Um, so, yeah, I got Dak Prescott, uh, Chris Carson, Melvin Gordon, Julio – Tyler Boyd, DJ Moore, Jamison Crowder, Tyler Higby as my starting lineup. And you I think saved me on Higby too because I, I had already purchased uh, the the Andrews for for twenty seven, and I threw Higby out at five just to you know circumvent the whole like oh I'll, I'll have Higby for two dollars thing. So I, I thought that like yeah. five was like a realistic starting point, and then you know the the ESPN draft software is like going once and i'm like oh no Dude, like <laughs> my i don't know if it's something with firefox or something but my buttons were not clicking the way i wanted them to so everything was a was a was a mess for me too and uh i didn't even, all these guys that i ended up getting i didn't know for sure that i had them for a while because i was just i just my screen was always lagging and stuff anyway uh yeah so so i did mean to bid on higby though i meant to buy him at least so uh six dollars bid on him in hindsight i wish i had gotten chris herndon for one dollar but with these with these with these rubes you never know what kind of markets they're going to establish with various things like i I go in with these fine-tuned ideas of the adp and stuff like that and then uh these these doofuses just blow it all up with their ridiculous notions and i i don't know where they're going and, and I end up tripping over their, you know, $1 Carson Wentz nominations and end up with DeAndre Washington and Adrian Peterson as my backup running backs. So <laughs> that sucks. But um, I don't know. I'm just going to hold on to all my quarterbacks and wait till one of these other losers has their quarterback sucks or, or, you know, gets hurt. And then they can trade me, I don't know, my new starting running back for Daniel Jones. There and, we go. Uh, if that doesn't happen, I guess I'll just out of spite – keep them on my roster the whole year so these other losers have to bid thirty dollars on um i don't know jimmy garoppolo whatever the option is at the time um so yeah that's that's where we're at as long as i have no injuries all year i'll be fine the quarterback hoarder 
has logged on. As I meant to, yeah. Uh, oh, actually, no, I'm going to be fine because uh, you guys have to honor this too because the, the league settings didn't block this loophole. Kyle Van Noy is listed as an edge defender, which means I can play him at defensive line. And in the stupid stake league scoring, it's basically all about tackles and assists because they're worth one point each in both cases. So uh, Kyle Van Noy is going to have like 80 tackles this year from the defensive line spot, uh, thus making up for Ooh. my... A complete lack of everything else okay all right i did something i did not realize until just now that's that's strong um other things that in like observations i want i wanted to point out um jake and joe did a did a good job of talking about how the timing of, of at which certain like bids are thrown out there or, or players can really like dictate things and when you run into the end of a tier that you that's how you end up with uh cooper cup going for 30 dollars whereas uh odell beckham went for 25 i think the odell, odell for 25 i think was my favorite purchase maybe of, of anyone else in the draft i, I was in on him too but I, I think i had already um done and or spent enough money on, on my first three with with mixon andrews and brown at that point that I, I wasn't quite ready to go in um even though i i did buy d buy uh the dk metcalf for seven dollars more a little bit later on but that's when my strategy uh changed about doing a, a ridley matt ryan stack um and then you know, again, like I said, um, the rest of the the receiver prices were, were pretty goofy from this thing. Robert Woods being twenty six, it's okay. Uh, but again, Cooper Cup for for thirty is is totally wild. And um, got, got guys like uh, Terry McLaurin going for the same price as Chris Godwin. Um, so yeah, things were, things got a little bit um, funky with with, the, with some of the pricing. Yeah, and crucially, this year the stake league has a half point PPR. Uh, previously it was only standard scoring, which was part of why it was such an annoying league. But, uh, yeah, hopefully that half point PPR is what bails me out with like my Tyler Boyd and Jamison Crowder. Uh, I, I really like my Tyler Boyd pick at $20, my, my DJ Moore at 28. Um, it, it almost makes up for my gigantic quarterback rotation. <laughs> I do love that quarterback rotation. And I, I do hope that there, you get some, uh, the ability to be to be spiteful to some clown that that did not yeah, address like Parr, depth. Andrew Parr took Aaron Rodgers for seven dollars. Like, how can I let someone have Carson Wentz for one dollar in a draft where Aaron Rodgers goes for seven? Like, you guys, not not you, John. Uh, it's like you guys, you guys are crazy. You gotta, you have no respect for the market. See, and and when there's no respect for the market, consequences uh, must dies. come forth. That's right. That's right. And on that note. That's going to wrap things up for the Thursday edition of this week's Rotowire NFL podcast brought to you by Dynasty Owner. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening.